0: Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again just for another day to be alive and breathing and uh, another chance to bring you glory. We know, Father, that you could take each one of us home any day you choose. And while we look forward to that, we thank you for this privilege of gathering together like this in your son's Precious name, uh, bringing you glory just by doing this thing and uniting in faith and uh, loving one another. We thank for the privilege of serving you and bringing your name glory. Father, we ask that you bless all those in our congregation that can't be here right now, especially those who are sick and, and struggling in different ways. You know all things, Father, and we ask that you touch them, that you comfort them, and give them more faith and peace in their situation. Father, most of all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who made all of this possible and has given us purpose and meaning and salvation. We ask that you bless this message and guide us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, again, God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make, part five. We're going to start off this way. Uh, You've all heard the phrase before, the things we do for love. It's even a song, right? The things people do for love. And we've all heard that phrase from a worldly perspective. How about we look at that phrase in relation to our series title? God looks at the heart, but the world sees the choices we make we might say the world, or or people in our periphery at least, hang in the balance of our choices. Not that it's dependent upon us, Uh, God's the one who saves, but we have the opportunity to be smack dab in the middle of many people's lives and to possibly change their lives with love. So on the board, the things we do for love, for the benefit of all the people observing our daily choices And because all men are weak in certain areas, we consider their weaknesses, even while we act in the liberty given to us by Christ. This is kind of like a summary statement of Sunday's message. Um, Again, for the benefit of all the people observing our daily choices, even people that you don't even know are observing your daily choices. For all those people, more than you think, and because all men are weak in certain areas, we consider their weaknesses, even while we act in the liberty given to us by Christ. And we might say, even while we don't act in the liberty given to us because of our consideration. If Christ lived rightly, and he did every second of his life, he always did the right thing, and he even lived sacrificially to avoid making people stumble, then we should do the same. And we know we can't do that perfectly, but that is what we're called to. We should do the same. We should imitate his life and his faith. And that's what love does. It lives sacrificially. As we heard on Sunday, living in love is our overriding principle. Regardless of life circumstances and even the attacks from man, living in love is like I don't know, you want to call it the foundation that's always beneath our feet, should always be there. That never, ever, ever should change or go away, regardless of the crazy different things we go through in life, right? All the different circumstances and different peoples. Um, Living in love should be the overriding principle. We must always love one another and consider one another as more important than ourselves, as in Philippians 2. That's part of our truly high calling in Christ. You know, when you first became a believer and you you turned to Christ to save you from your sin, you might not have understood the high calling that he was going to place on you. But he doesn't place on us anything that is beyond the power that he gives us to operate in. And where does the power come from? It comes from love. We love because he first loved us, right? So we're called to a high calling, but he already did something in us and to us through his love that changed us. So now, you know, we have a choice every day to live in this high calling or not, to love one another and to consider one another as more important than ourselves. And that's not a light statement. I was thinking about that before. How often do I actually consider others more important than myself? Not too often. If I'm honest, more important than myself. But that's the high calling. And again, God's just trying to take us out of the way, right? Get out of the way and let him live through you. And then we can do these things because we don't care about ourselves. So whether you're with a believer who is weak in a certain area regarding food or drink, or you're with an unbeliever who was wounded, maybe by a Christian or a church and therefore needs you to show them love in the name of Christ, Uh, we must do whatever it takes within our power to not make anybody stumble. All for the sake of Christ and His good name. That's what we've been on. And that's why we can say the things we do for love. There are certain things. There are certain things that we actually do For love, as came out on Sunday. What I mean is, as Pastor mentioned, people need to see your love for them because they can't see your heart. How are they going to see your love for them unless you actually do good things? Upon them, to them, um, maybe for people they love. How are they going to see your love unless you do certain things? Or even... Deny certain things that you may consider good for their benefit, which was a major theme on Sunday also. We saw on Sunday a supreme example of love. Can you imagine getting circumcised so others wouldn't stumble? Would you do that if a bunch of Jews came into our church right now and said, we won't listen to you unless you're one of us? And you know what that means. Would you be willing to do that? That's what Timothy did. When you think about it, that's love, and that's uh, sacrificial love. What a godly man Timothy was, he must have had a heart for God and his people. He must have. Or he probably would have backed right out of that request from Paul. You know, rationalized that right away. But he must have loved his people. And that only comes from God. So Timothy had selfless actions, even though he had the right to remain uncircumcised in God's eyes. That's the amazing thing about it. Totally justified before God to not go through with that thing. So turn again to Acts 16.1, as we will use this example a little bit more tonight. Acts sixteen one. Only uh, the love of God motivates that type of selfless act. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of; he had a good name apparently well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So the Jews, they were pretty tough, we might say. Even though Timothy's mother was a Jew, some of them would not have listened to Timothy and Paul, just because timothy's father was a gentile so for the sake of some and maybe not not even the majority because they already were liked he was already liked by his brethren so for the sake of some he made a painful sacrifice (laughs) we might rightly ask on the board are we willing to be cut for others And that could be a lot of different things. But a cut is painful. It could be physical. It could be mental and spiritual and emotional. Uh, Are we willing to be persecuted? That others might have a better chance to see the love of Christ and hear the gospel? Timothy, on the board, he didn't care about himself or his own comfort. He was willing to sacrifice his own comfort, and even his own rights for the good it might bring others. Acts 16.3 we just saw, and also 1 Corinthians 9.22 is the same principle. So are you willing to be cut for others? It's not you who lives, it's Christ who lives in you, right? Our life is all loss. We count that as rubbish, as dung for the sake of knowing Christ. So said Paul. So are we willing to be cut for others? Maybe to even have a a piece in their eternal salvation? Timothy possessed something very valuable, more valuable than gold, as we've seen. And that is a good name. And he wanted to keep it. He wanted to keep it for the sake of his brethren in hopes that some of them would be saved, just like Paul said in his letters. So turn uh, to 1 Corinthians 9, 19. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Again, the point on the board. Timothy didn't care about himself or his own comfort. He was willing to sacrifice his own comfort and even his own rights for the good it might bring to others. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 Well, we're going to read this whole passage here, not just one verse, because it illustrates Paul's heart, as we've seen in the past. And the evidence of his faith were the things he actually did for love. The evidence of Paul's faith were the things he actually did in the lives of other people for love. He didn't just hold them in his heart and pray for them. He actually did good things for them even self-sacrificially. 1 Corinthians 9:19, 9, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. I just stopped there for a minute. <laughs> I'm, I'm free from all men. Christ has told me I'm free from all men. I'm going to make myself a slave to all. Just think about that. That's selfless love. Widely do it, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not myself being under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. See, it was all about them. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And keep in mind, this is all in line with keeping a good name For the benefit of those who can't see our hearts. You could have the best intentions in the world. Your conscience could be totally clean before God at this time in your life today. You know, July 31st, 2018. Right now you might be totally with a clear conscience before God. And nobody can see the pure intentions you might have towards them. Unless you act a certain way towards them. For example, they can see if you actively love them or not. How do you actively love someone? You show them you care about them in some way, right? You actually do something. It might be small. But you show them you care about them. Even though they might not see it or appreciate it, right away we must do it for the lord i don't know about you but if i'm honest sometimes i don't do something good for someone because i know they're not going to appreciate it i mean i could see the writing on the wall you know you could tell their attitude maybe they're arrogant um maybe you know them too well and you hold back doing something good because you know it's not going to be appreciated but what is that that's selfish really right i want a good response obviously not right so we must do the good for the lord knowing it's pleasing the lord not for our own benefit or satisfaction and we must trust god to open their eyes to see the love of christ that you're loving them with in due time though it's in his timing it's in their timing they might not be ready to appreciate the love of christ in action Well, let that seed fester. (laughs) Let someone else water it. Let God cause the growth. And we have to accept we might not see the growth. And that should be okay with us because we're doing it for Jesus Christ himself. That's the best motivation, of course. Go to Colossians 3.22. Colossians 3.22. Let's just see this principle with our eyes. We must do whatever we do for Christ's good name. Not expecting any thanks even. Because people are weak. Maybe they'll thank you in heaven, hopefully. But you might never see it on earth. You might never hear it on earth. Colossians 3.22 Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So there we see, you know, God sees our heart, of course. We should be doing it for Him. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Why does it say that? Because we're also told to have a good name in front of men. Why does it say do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, because men are going to let you down and men are not going to appreciate your sacrifice. How many Jews appreciated Timothy's sacrifice? We don't know, but very possibly not many, and especially before they saw the light of Christ. Right. So again, verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. There again, we see if you know something's wrong and you don't do it, to you it's sin, right? Right? but it's the Lord Christ whom we serve. Here's something that came out on Sunday on the board. What we must realize in humility and patience is that there are obstacles that exist because of the ignorance of others. There are obstacles that exist because of the ignorance of others. For example, when a child doesn't know any better, you yell at them and scream at them when they do something, you know, foolish? No, because you you know they don't know any better, they don't get it. So you have to suck it up out of love. Um, You bite your tongue out of love, you know, it wouldn't be the right thing to do because they're ignorant, they're unaware. And weren't we all ignorant of truth at some point? Of course. Paul knew that for the ultimate benefit of the ignorant, those too blinded to understand the truth of Christ, it would be better if Timothy did something unnecessary for the weak. Holy Scripture doesn't say Paul and Timothy were making a bad decision in Acts 16. It was recorded for us to see the types of sacrifices we make for those who can't yet see spiritual things. If someone's lost in the woods, in the pitch dark, are you going (laughs) to be upset that they can't find their way out? That'd be foolish, right? So go there willingly with the flashlight instead of, you know, like Jonah, who wasn't willing to go, where God told him to go. These are people we're talking about that are ignorant of truth, as we were at one point. And love is willing to do whatever it takes to avoid making somebody stumble, if it's within our power. And that's going to be a regular theme tonight, if it's in our power. On the board, we saw Timothy's good name. Paul recognized that Timothy's good name among the Jews was advantageous to his ministry. He had Timothy circumcised to minimize social kickback due to the persistent weaknesses of the Jews and their adherence to their religious practices. Imagine being back in, you know, Paul's day on his missionary trips, which we see throughout the book of Acts, right? And they go to a synagogue, him and Timothy, and it's packed. I don't know, 100 people, 200 people. And they start listening to Paul speak, and one loudmouth gets up and says, Wait a minute. That guy, Timothy's not circumcised. He just ruined it for the other 99 people in the room who were willing to listen until that came up. Ruined the chance to give the gospel. Do you see the motivation? It might have only been one person that would have even said anything, but psh, once that comes out of the mouth, right, everyone starts thinking, and now their openness closed down. And that's, we can think of things if we take a minute to think about our lives, how we might have a platform with somebody if we do the right thing or if we even do something that's unnecessary for their benefit. So this is a very good example to us all as we go about meeting different people every day who have different perspectives and different weaknesses. All you have to do is watch the news or read, you know, different news perspectives from the right, from the left, etc. All you have to do is look at that to see all the different perspectives out there about life, about God, about where we, where we came from, about what's important in life. So we'd be wise to be flexible, right? I'm not talking about compromising truth if we are put on the spot about what the Bible says about certain things. But being flexible and being willing to relate to someone else where they're coming from. And that very well might give you the open door, might open the ears to you because you're kind towards them, even though they might live a lifestyle totally against what you believe. But you're kind towards them and they're not used to people being kind towards them, especially Christians, possibly. So be open, be flexible, and be willing to be a slave of all men like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. That's something, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I get selfish quite often, focused on self, what's comfortable for me. So to be a slave of all men, again, that's a high calling. That's a big choice to make. But that's where God's kind of taken us gradually, thank God, in His patience. But we might say, you know, if love's our motivation, if God's love is our motivation, we can do it. If not, we can't do it. We've got, we've got no power. So we might say on the board, all for love, if something is wrong, but it's right in the eyes of the weak, for example, circumcision for religious purposes, we need to keep our focus on the end goal. This came up on Sunday. We need to keep our focus on the end goal. Even if something might be wrong, but to them it's it's very right. So instead of maybe getting hung up on certain things, we might even do something unnecessary, unwarranted. Uh, we have the right not to do, but we do it for their benefit. Keep focus on the end goal. What is that? To have someone be open to the gospel. And usually that's only possible through them seeing that you actually care about them. Did Paul and Timothy choose to argue with the weak? Did they try to prove they were right out of pride? Well, let me tell you why he doesn't have to be circumcised. There you go, right? You just closed all the ears, right? And you're, you're arguing because you want to be right. But they chose to overlook their brethren's ignorance and to do what was necessary to keep their hearts open to hearing the truth about Christ. Turn to Romans 14, 19. So we can see this again from Sunday. Romans 14, 19. Again, they chose to overlook their brother's ignorance and do what was necessary to keep their hearts open to hearing about Jesus. Romans fourteen nineteen. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Again, on the board. The word anything covers a lot. (laughs) In fact, since God isn't a God of confusion, we might rightly conclude that this is dogma. We must always remain cognizant of what may make others stumble. Don't do anything, if it's within your power. Don't do anything that would make your brother stumble. Romans 12, 9 through 18 also. On the board, we heard from McDonald, it's better to forego one's legitimate rights than to have to condemn oneself for offending others. One who avoids stumbling others is a happy person. Because, frankly, you'll be unhappy if you find out that you made somebody stumble because you were being selfish or prideful. As Pastor shared on Sunday, you might say to God, thank you for approving of this particular liberty in my life, showing me that that's okay for me. You know, And God might say, you're welcome, enjoy this blessing. But a weaker person who can't see your heart before the Lord, they might not agree about your conviction on that subject. Right? We could see that all day long especially with people that are unbelievers, that are caught up in the world's ways, they're not going to see that you have a good heart about a particular thing, and they might simply disagree with your conviction, and it might make them stumble. And I like you know, this passage we just read um, yep, in uh, Romans 14, 21, the example of drinking wine, for example. It's a good example. Or eating dinner with someone who you know, and this is the key, what you know, right, to you who know the right thing to do and don't do it, it's sin, you know the person you're eating with is against eating meat. They might even be emotional about it, maybe irrationally so, but that's their conviction, right? So here you are eating dinner with someone that you know is against eating meat, and you could rub them the wrong way. In fact, how many of you have done that on purpose in the past? right get somebody going is that love <laughs> it's obviously not love right maybe that was our immaturity when we did that but if you know some, something irritates someone why would you do it if it's going to take away your seat for the gospel I mean you might have the chance to share the gospel with them but once you order a steak not anymore they're just fuming right that, they're not going to be open to what you have to say. So have, order the pasta you wanted, right? Can't order pasta. Can't order pasta. No carbs. Go for it. Make yourself happy. Make them happy. Keep an open ear to the gospel. <laughs> and here's the other side of the coin that we often don't consider, which uh, pastor also mentioned on Sunday. What if they respect you enough as a person that they they take your word that something is okay, whatever you're doing. Because you do think it's right before God, and that's good. But their conscience might be telling them it's wrong, at least for themselves, at least at this point in their lives. But you kind of might even talk them into it. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Are you pushing them to violate their conscience? Just something to think about. You know, we should be... um, sensitive to people even when we disagree with what they believe for the sake of the gospel if it's within our power so even if you have a clear conscience uh you might help somebody disobey theirs and that's that's wrong if you know that's what's going on as we are reminded in luke 12 48b from everyone who has been given much much will be required And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Whether you like it or not, this is the truth of being a follower of Christ. You're in his army. You're on the front lines. If you're in God's word, you're on the front lines of Christianity in the devil's world. So whether you like it or not, it's a wonderfully high calling and privilege before we go home to meet the Lord. And much is required of you, even in God's eyes, because you know the truth. So instead of run from it, we should embrace it, right? It's easier to be a chicken, be a coward, try to hide from it. But God considers what we know to be right and what our consciences are convicted of when he judges the situation between people, even. So again, if there's someone who doesn't know any better and has never heard God's truth on a subject, God will more than likely be merciful and patient with that person than you. If we stand there doing something we know might offend another, then we're culpable in God's eyes. God looks at the heart. Guess what that means? He knows when you know. And he knows when you know and you do something anyway to offend somebody. And as we're learning, that's unloving. It might get your sin nature going. You might, again, like to get somebody going. Maybe they always get you going, right? And you have this chance to get them back. It's so tempting. But that's not the love of Christ. That's selfish and fleshly, not spiritual. As our Lord said, even the lack of forgiving somebody could be a stumbling block. And let's just take a look at this in context in Luke 17, verse 1. Go to Luke 17, 1. Even the lack of forgiving somebody could be a stumbling block to them. And I know this from a personal experience even. I remember times where I offended somebody, and I was wrong in the situation, and I asked forgiveness. And in my heart, I was literally kind of begging you know, that they say, okay, I forgive you. Because if I knew if they didn't, it would really bother me that I hurt them. <clears throat> so that would have been a stumbling block to me, I guess you might say, to a certain degree. But look what our Lord said, especially when we know better, right? Luke 17:1, He said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through who they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Then he says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. In other words, you know better. You know what I've forgiven you, the Lord might say. If somebody says repent, forgive him. God loved each of us so much that he was patient and forgiving towards all of us when we didn't know any better, when we were ignorant. How do we have the right to not be patient and forgive those who are ignorant of the truth right now, just like we were? Again, James 4.17, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And you and I not forgiving someone who asks for it, that's sin. Because we know it's the right thing to do and we don't do it. So let's go back to Romans 14.21, where Paul continues about personal conviction and doing what is right. Romans fourteen twenty It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. So as the Spirit brought out on Sunday, here's an inescapable conclusion on the board. It's a sin to violate one's conscience. When you know the right thing to do, where, where do you know the right thing to do? In your conscience, right? You know when God keeps doing this and he won't let it go, and you know You just know the right thing to do, and sometimes you still refuse. That's sin. That's going against God. That's falling short of the mark, as the definition of sin would say, right? God's high water mark, which Pastor mentioned on Sunday. Consider this, related to the principle on the board. We shouldn't even listen to other well-intentioned believers if we are convicted about something in our own conscience. Something to think about. We shouldn't even listen to other well-intentioned believers if we are convicted about something in our own conscience between us and God. In other words, follow what the Spirit is putting on your heart. And again, when we say that, right? When we say follow what's on your heart, we're not talking about an emotional thing. We're talking about what you're convicted to be right or wrong in a given situation. That's what the Spirit is putting on your heart, whether you like it or not. Don't ignore that, or you suffer. This is why we can't always be asking other believers for their advice on a situation. I remember when I was a young man, I I used to always ask people's advice probably a lot of times for the wrong reasons, maybe to get a loophole to get out of something. But as we grow in the word, we have to you know, humble ourselves before the Lord and obey the word and listen to his conviction in our own conscience. We can't be asking other believers for advice all the time because look at it this way, you're the one in the situation whatever that situation is, you're the one in it that knows all the little details. And God wants you to follow your convictions. He doesn't want you to go to your pastor all the time for the right answer when God's testing you. Right? It's one thing if you don't know the biblical answer to something and you, you honestly don't know and you want to ask advice of someone who's been in the Word. But... <laughs> Have you ever tried to tell someone about a situation you're in and you conveniently leave out the smaller details? We've all probably done that. If you're the one in the situation, then it's obviously something God wants you to learn from and make a decision on. For his good name and your good name, or you can ignore that but that would not be right. That would be sin against God. Something else came out on Sunday that's very helpful for us to consider as Pastor shared his personal growth uh, and experience. It's true that God's viewpoint, okay, God's viewpoint is perfect and immutable, but he knows that mere humans will never see things the way he does, and nor does he expect us to. Something pretty amazing to think about. Like even as we grow, even as we mature in the faith, right? God knows we're not going to see things totally clearly the way he does. Uh, And he doesn't expect us to even. God doesn't have unrealistic expectations on man. Even those who are his. He's infinitely patient with us and slow to anger even when we know better and fail, isn't he? I mean, I think about this and, like, you know, it makes me angry sometimes about my own failures, but sometimes even when I know better, I fail. And thank God for Lamentations 3, his loving kindness, you know, his grace, new and fresh every morning, great is his faithfulness. Thank God for a new morning and a new day He even knows. (laughs) He's patient even when we know better and fail. He knows our weaknesses and he knows our frame. On the board, Psalm 103, 14. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Thank God. Now, if that's true and he looks at us that way, how can we not look at people that way, other people that way? That are ignorant of the truth. It's just horrible (laughs) if we don't live in the same forgiveness and patience we've been shown. Remember, 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is patient and love is kind, right? Oh, you love getting that from God, don't you? That patience, that kindness, that mercy. Love getting that from God when you were a fool for the umpteenth time. But you don't give that to somebody else who might not even know the truth. So on the board, think about from the positive perspective the opportunity you have. We now have the opportunity to be patient and kind towards others as Jesus was and is towards us. You have the opportunity to pass on the best news, the loving kindness of God. What, what else better is there in life? And as the Spirit's been telling us, we have the chance to illustrate to others the love and mercy of God. Just dwell on that for a minute. As with our point on the board, we have the chance to illustrate the love and mercy of God to others. Not just say it, not just pray for people. Illustrate. I mean, show them an example, right? God basically says to man, I know you'll never have it all down pat to always do what's right, but this one thing I ask of you, follow the conscience I gave you. Follow the conscience that my spirit is prodding Listen to the guidance of my word and my spirit within you. So God doesn't have unrealistic expectations of us. He knows we're going to fail until the day we die. But the one thing he asks of us is follow the conscience that I'm guiding. So on the board, regarding a good name, a good name begins with integrity to one's good conscience. Said conscience as a function of faith, which God has given each of us, A measure of said conscience is very personal and unique that's been coming out a lot very personal and unique to where each person might be in their life too I mean right now you might think something is wrong but five years ago you thought it was right honestly in your own conscience you thought it was okay but now five years later you think it's wrong so can you transfer that to somebody else without judging Can you say, oh, that person doesn't see a particular thing the way I see it right now, so maybe it really is right in their conscience. Maybe I do need to give them space and, you know, God bless them. Because you know what? It's very personal and unique. It's almost like uh, God doesn't push someone further than they can go in his patience and his loving kindness. Right? He doesn't slam somebody for not being able to maybe receive a certain truth yet because they can't take it in their soul. There's a lot going on in the spiritual life, right? We all know this in our own souls too. But said conscience is very personal and unique. God holds us accountable to the good conscience that he's chosen to give to each of us as individuals. And thank God for that. That's where, where mercy comes in and patience. This truth on the board, as came out on Sunday, is anti religious. The fact that each person goes by their own good conscience that God gave them is anti religious. In other words, instead of being in bondage to a set of religious rules and uh, rituals, God has written his law on our hearts as he promised even from the Old Testament. I think it was Ezekiel. I will write my law on their hearts one day. What do you think he's talking about? There's our conscience and our convictions. What's right and what's wrong, he guides by his word and his spirit. And that's very anti-religious because it's anti-establishment in terms of like religious establishment. What they say must be done or has to be done in a certain way it's actually individual and this of course includes the guideline that we're going by his word right okay there's unbelievers out there that follow their conscience but it's not a good conscience you know even though God's trying to give them the goodness show him the right way so what's the law above all laws that he puts on our heart the law of love right so what's the big picture from the Spirit? This, this came up on Sunday in this little chart. God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make. There are distinct viewpoints. There's two of them, right? There's God's viewpoint and there's the world's viewpoint. And I'm not going to get all geeked out with you, because I can't. <laughs> Pastor used the word on Sunday. I'm like, what is that word? But what it comes down to is there's really only four options. With these two viewpoints that exist, there's really only four options. First of all, if God, or if both God and man see something as good, then ministry is usually fruitful, right? Things go swimmingly, people listen to the gospel, good fruit comes in people's lives. If God sees good, but man sees something as bad, then we might have to withhold exercising our liberties that Christ gave us kind of like Timothy did. If God sees something as bad, but the world says it's good, well, then we should conclude that we're acting like friends of the world, which is obviously not good, according to John. And then if God sees something as bad and the world sees something as bad, that's a bad sign. Jump off that path right away, that's definitely a a, a spotlight in your face. But we know from the truth of God's word that these two viewpoints, God's viewpoint and the world's viewpoint, are often going to be at odds. Now, here's what the Spirit's been saying to us for years now. It's our job as an individual to evaluate each, each situation we come across that you're not going to come across in my path, I'm not going to come across in your path. It's our job to evaluate each situation through prayer and the word and respond with grace and truth according to our conscience. Right? Can anyone do that for you? Nobody can do that for you. We hope not to make anybody stumble. We have to evaluate each situation and follow the good conscience that the Spirit is guiding. We have to trust that the Spirit is guiding our conscience. And if we really don't know the answer again, biblically, okay, ask somebody. But nine times out of ten, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. So you're the one in the situation. Evaluate the situation prayerfully and live in grace and truth as Jesus did. As long as it's possible with us. Our greatest example is the Lord who always did what's right and always considered others in his actions. So the fruit that we saw a couple weeks ago is in Luke 2, 52. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and men. Kind of like that chart we just saw. Both God and men saw he was good. Why? He always did what was right. He had to be pretty arrogant to say he was wrong like the Pharisees did. But he kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and men because he followed the good conscience he had. The Holy Spirit, he was always filled with the Spirit 100% of the time. So he's our great example. We're not going to be perfect because we deal with this sin nature thing that follows us around, that won't leave us till we die. But we have the perfect example before us to learn from, the life of Jesus himself. So while we don't want to be men-pleasers, we should be concerned about having a good name for Christ in front of all men, as long as it's possible with us, as long as it's within our power. And there, by the way, is another heart issue, as long as it's within our power. Only you, between you and God, know if you've done everything possible to avoid others stumbling or not. Right? Only you know if you've done everything possible to avoid others stumbling or not. You can say all you want to other believers. You know, you might be talking about a situation with someone that you had to deal with. You could say all you want. I did everything I could. I did everything I could, really. You might convince them, but you can't convince your own conscience. You can't convince God. So it's a heart issue whether or not you've done everything possible as long as it depends on you. So again, God demands that we follow our own conscience that he is guiding. On the board, this is a key point from Sunday. It's important that we understand the dynamics of living among other individuals as part of God's plan. You know, whether we like it or not, this is a major part of living the Christian life. The dynamics of living among other individuals who have different perspectives and are at different places in their lives. We ought never judge others for stumbling. Rather, we ought to focus on not being the cause of stumbling. That is love. Romans 12:9 uh, through18. We'll take a look at that again. If you want to turn there now, actually, as we begin to close, Romans 12:9. Again, the point on the board. It's important that we understand the dynamics of living among other individuals as part of God's plan for us. In other words, we weren't designed to be isolationists. We weren't designed to go up on a mountain and live like a monk and just, you know, pray for people and love people that way. We were designed to actually do things that show love to people, and we were designed to be wrapped and involved with other people's individual lives. We ought never judge others for stumbling. Rather, we ought to focus on not being the cause for stumbling. And think about it. If you're not the cause then people will be willing to turn to you when they stumble, right? If you're not the cause of this stumbling and you're there when they stumble, you're there to pick them up and they're willing to hear you out. How awesome is that? As McDonald said, there's the happy person that didn't cause anybody to stumble, but you might have a chance for the gospel because of your kindness, so, again, Jesus is our mighty example, and uh, his word is our constant teacher, as in Romans twelve nine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. That reminds me of Philippians 2. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. This says, give preference to one another in honor. In other words, put them before you. And it says, be devoted. Again, we saw this on Sunday from the Greek, philostorgos, from philos means lover or friend, and storge means natural or family love. Properly a lover of family, devoted love, shown by family members is that special affection shared between members of God's family, people that are born again, divinely adopted, and serving the same Heavenly Father. Pretty neat definition, perspective, about being devoted to one another in brotherly love. So we are to do whatever we can, whatever we can within our power, to keep our beloved family together. And not just people in our church, other people that you know are believers. They might have weaknesses in certain areas. Instead of shining a light on them, (laughs) we should cover for them. That's what love does. Love covers a multitude of transgressions. Why do we judge the way we do, right? Why do we harp on people and jump on people the way we do just because they don't See They see things the exact same way yet. Maybe they're younger in the word, whatever it is. Why do we do that thing? Out of selfish pride. We are called to do whatever's within our power to keep unity in the faith and show the love of Christ. We ought to beware of making others stumble and tearing apart God's family, even from other churches or denominations that we might not totally disagree with. If they love Christ, isn't that what's important? So why should we do anything that might tear it apart? Remember this previous scripture about tearing in Romans 14, 28? Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. Could there be anything more silly to cause disunity in the faith than food? What a silly reason to make somebody stumble, right? Food or drink. But we do it only if we don't listen to our good conscience. And as Pastor brought up on uh, Sunday, we're all going to have tests and disagreements. We're we're family, and and the closer you get to family and the more you get to know each other's strengths and weaknesses, we're all going to have disagreements. We're all going to have tests with one another. But we always have the good counsel of Holy Scripture to turn to. For example, we'll close with this on the board, Ephesians four twenty six and 27. Be angry at sin, at immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behavior. That's good. Be angry at those things, yet do not sin. Do not let your anger cause you shame, nor allow it to last until the sun goes down. And do not give the devil an opportunity. We don't, when we're upset with people, we don't realize that we're on the cusp of crossing that line and giving the devil an opportunity to come between two or three or more believers or, or to be, cause a division in the church. That's not what we think of when we're angry, right? When we're not forgiving, remember the lack of forgiveness we saw earlier in the lesson it can make somebody stumble? We don't think about that at that very moment if we decide to cross that line we're giving the devil an opportunity to cause division and to break up the love of Christ, to cause somebody to stumble and to possibly give Christ a bad name. We have that opportunity, right? Every day we get that opportunity. Cross the line and go the wrong way and maybe cause a bad name or stay on Christ's side, follow the word, follow your good conscience, and be patient and loving and forgiving. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your patient guidance of us through your word. It truly is marvelous. And we thank you for showing us the dividing lines, so to speak, for showing us good and evil for even showing us our own hearts and the things we need to reconcile or repent from. Father, we thank you for the good conscience you've given us, each one of us. Uh, We know your spirit is always faithful if we're listening. And we ask, Father, that you help us be humble before you each and every day to listen to your guidance and your will, so that if within our power we don't make others stumble, but we show others the love of Christ and make sure he has a good name in our lives. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Amen.